we are continuing a series that we are calling God in Plain Sight. And our reasoning for this series is because we believe that we have a God who pursues us, who desires this personal relationship with us. And because of that, he chooses to reveal himself to us. But unfortunately, I fear that we miss out on these opportunities that God is trying to reveal himself to us because we look for him in the big and in the grandiose instead of seeking him in the small and in the ordinary, mundane, day-to-day reality that is everyday life. And so we have this series called God in Plain Sight, and it's reminding us of all the ways that God is pursuing us throughout our daily lives. And so I would like for us to look at this idea this morning of how we can experience God through serving others, how we can experience God, have a personal, intimate moment with God through serving others. Now, at first glance, this may seem a little backwards to a lot of us. An attempt to experience God, which is essentially gaining something for ourselves, we're saying you first must be willing to serve someone, which is essentially giving something of yourself. And it's, it's kind of paradoxical in nature. And so what we're saying is if you want to gain something for yourself, you first must be willing to give something of yourself. And this is so countercultural to how our world thinks today. But if you know God and if you know Jesus Christ, then you know that this is their MO. Like this is the way in which they choose to operate. And I think we should consider doing the same as well. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. As God's people, what would it look like for us to exemplify this concept to our community, this idea of experiencing God through serving others? I have a feeling it might look a little something like this, so check it out. Up on the screens, we have a little bit of a slideshow going on, some pictures. And if you're new to First Church, if this is your first time visiting with us, maybe you've been coming for a couple of months, you might be looking at these pictures and wondering, like, what are those crazy people up to? Like, what does this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with church? This is something that we at First Church call Serve Week. And we believe that this is just a snapshot of what it means for the church to flat out get it done in the community. You see, we believe we exist for our community, and therefore we should play an active role in the serving and the helping and the loving of that community. That's why we mobilized 800 people to do 42 projects in just seven short days to show this community how much we love them. But more importantly, we do it to show them how much God loves them. And so if you played any role in serving or leading or volunteering at Serve Week, I want to personally thank you on behalf of the church, on behalf of Miss Jenny, our serve director. You guys stepped up. We knocked it out of the park. And we surprised a ton of people in our community this week in the best way possible. So thank you guys for that. I want to go back and I kind of want to highlight something that I just said that some of us may have missed due to the hype factor of Serve Week and the slideshow going on in the background, and that is the motive for Serve Week. And really, it's the motive for First Church and our existence as a whole, and that is that we exist for our community. Darren says this all the time. He says, the church might be the only organization in the entire world that exists for its non-members. Think about that. We may be the only organization in the entire world that exists for our non-members, the people who are not yet here. Here at First Church, our vision is that everyone will know, worship, and serve Jesus Christ. And that everyone is not just everyone in this room. It's not just everyone in your family. It's not even everyone in your workplace. Like, we literally mean everyone. And so this community, Northern Kentucky, it becomes our mission field It becomes our battleground to go and do spiritual war over because we believe that each and every single person, everyone, is worth fighting for. 
And we want everyone to be pursuing a personal relationship with Christ. And so the problem with, with getting people to pursue that personal relationship with Christ is that nobody will do the what or the how until we tell them the why. Nobody will do the what or the how, the work, until we show them the why, the inspiration, the motivation behind what we're asking them. What I mean by this is as a church, we can no longer really expect our community, non-church people, to just come to this place at 9, 30, and 11 to show up and obey all the rules that we have and, and act exactly how we want them to act and just expect them to fall over backwards into a relationship with Christ. You see, we as a church, we're not in the business of behavior modification. We're in the business of heart transformation. And we believe that it's not by rules or regulations or even religion that people's hearts are forever changed, but it's by a relationship with a personal God who is pursuing them in plain sight. And so the question remains on how can we show our community the why behind what we do and what we believe? How can we show them the why behind what we do and what we believe? How can we gain influence with them to get them to see just how amazing this Jesus guy really is? And so there's two key passages that I want to look at this morning in regards to this idea of gaining influence in our community. One is going to be a good example, and one is going to be a not-so-good example. And so we're going to look at the bad example first. We're going to look at the what not to do. And so there's this city in the Bible called Sodom. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that this is literally one of the worst cities to have ever existed. The city is famous for its lust, its sexual misconduct, its violence, its alcoholism, it's just not a great place to raise a family, right? We'll kind of leave it at that. This city is famous for all the wrong reasons. In fact, it's one of only four cities recorded in the Bible that God destroys for their sinful nature. And so we see in Genesis chapter 19 that God destroys Sodom for their sins. But what's so interesting about Sodom and the destruction of the city is the reasoning why God destroyed it. With what we know about Sodom most, and its reputation, most of us would just jump to the conclusion that Sodom was destroyed because of their sexual sin, because of their violence towards one another and outsiders, or even their drunkenness. But according to Ezekiel, one of God's prophets from the Old Testament, the city of Sodom was destroyed for a completely different reason, or at least a completely different sin. So check it out. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 says this. It says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And so when I read this verse, it kind of forces me to do some self-reflection. And so I don't know about you, church, but I certainly have plenty of pride in my life. And, you know, uh, I think some people might agree that I'm a little overfed, right? Like that's not a stretch of the imagination to say that. And I have to be transparent and say that at times I am wildly unconcerned with what's going on in the world around me. And so according to this verse here in Ezekiel, the only thing keeping me from being like the people of Sodom, which is the biblical epitome of evil, is this idea of whether or not I am willing to help the poor. You see, in the church world, we like to define holiness as avoiding transgressions or by not doing bad things. But according to God, the sin of omission or not doing what we're supposed to be doing is right up there with some of the top worst sins that we can commit. You see, the city of Sodom was not destroyed for what they were doing. They were destroyed for what they were not doing. And unfortunately, I think we sell ourselves short as to what exactly we are called to do as the body of Christ. You see, if you think that showing up to this place once a week is the sole identity and purpose of who you are as a son and daughter of the creator and the sustainer of the universe, 
then I think you're selling yourself way short to the ideal that God has for you. You see, God wants you to experience him through serving others. He wants you to love him by loving others. God wants us to transform our community from the outside in. I love the way that Pastor Todd Atkins illustrates this. He says, we will not change our community by having been at church today. He says, we change it by being the church in our community throughout the week. And so, yes, coming to this place and being filled up, that's important. In fact, it's one of my favorite things to do all week. I get to come in here. I get to bump into a lot of you guys. We get to do life together. I get to sit under Darren's teaching and be encouraged and challenged to grow in my faith. Like, all of that is very, very important. But if that's all we do, if that's our formula to gain influence over our city and to serve and love on those around us, then I fear that we're no better than the people of Sodom. We're unconcerned and disconnected for the people who God has put in our care. And so the question remains then, how can we gain favor with those around us? Is it possible for us to win over our community, to gain influence with them so we can lead them in a life transformation relationship with Jesus Christ? And so we're going to look at our second biblical example of a city, and it too comes from one of God's prophets. In this example, God is giving instructions to his people on how to gain influence in a city that they were just enslaved in. And so this comes from the prophet Jeremiah to the Israelites as they are in the process of assimilation into Babylon. So Jeremiah 29.7 says this. It says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I love the way that pastor and author Timothy Keller describes what God is saying here through his prophet Jeremiah. He's saying that the route to gaining influence is not through taking power. Influence gained through power and control doesn't change society. It doesn't change the heart. No, God says, I'm calling you to a totally different approach here. He's saying, I want you to be so sacrificially loving that the people around you who don't believe what you believe cannot begin to imagine this place without you. They will trust you because they will see that you're not only out for yourself, you're not only out for your own agenda, but that you're also out for theirs as well. When they begin to voluntarily look up to you because of the attractiveness of your service and love, then and only then do you have real influence. And it will be influence given to you by others, not taken by you from others. I love the way that he sums it up there at the end. He says, it will be influence given to you by others, not taken by you from others. And so I don't know about you guys, but as I read this passage, I can't help but think of Jesus. Like this entire passage reminds me of Jesus and how he chose to gain influence in the world. Think about it. How did Jesus respond to his enemies throughout his entire life? He didn't call down legions of angels to fight them. He didn't try and climb the political ladder and outsmart them. No, he died on a cross for their sins. And with his last breath, he prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. And if church at the very heart of our worldview is our Savior dying for his enemies, then the way that we are going to win influence in our society here in northern Kentucky is through service rather than power. It's through love rather than control. And so love will be the primary motivation and our pathway to successfully gaining influence with our community. You see, God has called us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to love on those who need it the most. He has called us to be his church, not to just sit in a room and listen to a sermon. And so let me ask you, church, where are you showing up in the lives of the people in our community? 
How are you being a part of their story? Are you putting yourself in a situation of service to those in need so that you may experience God in an extraordinary way? Is First Church satisfied by just Serve Week? Or are we going to be defined by having a heart of service 365 days a year? You know, one really cool story that I have getting to serve here at First Church is with an organization called Fairhaven. And it's a partner ministry that we do. It's a homeless shelter. And uh, they, they, they house hundreds of guys every day of the week. And they, they feed them meals. And, and after the meal, they have a chapel service. And so Paul Barth is our ministry liaison, our ministry leader for that. And Paul reached out to me and said, Nick, would you like to teach at chapel? Would you be willing to do that? And I said, absolutely. I would love to do that. And he said, here, let me give you a hint. He said, we have guys from other organizations, other businesses, other churches come in, and he's like, they show up kind of late, and they, they miss the meal prep, and, and they miss the meal serving time, and they just show up to teach. And he's like, I got to be honest with you, the guys don't receive their message that well. They don't seem to be as receptive because they're just showing up to teach. Paul said, let me give you a hint, show up early, meal prep, be there to, to help with the meal, preparing the meal, and then serve the guys. He said, you know, be a servant for them. Show them that you are here for them, that you are here to love on them. And he said, watch their face when you go up, and then you're also the person that's going to be teaching them. He said, your words will carry so much more weight. You will have so much more influence in that room, and what you are saying and what you are, you know, exemplifying to them will be so much more believable because they saw that you were first willing to serve them, that you were here to love them. And so I literally have learned this lesson firsthand in a, in a serving opportunity through First Church. And I have to be honest, going into that night, I was like, my heart was in the wrong place. I was annoyed. I had to write another sermon. It was another night that I was away from my wife and, and having to go and to do this ministry. And, and I show up, and God just blew me away in the best way possible. I left that place so much happier, so much more blessed and filled up than I could have possibly given to any of those guys and getting to talk with them and serve them and, and teach alongside them. And so I was so excited about it. I actually reached out to some of my friends here at First Church, some of our ministry leaders and volunteers. I said, you guys have to try this. I know it sounds like more work. I know it's another night you're away from your family, but I said, you will leave this place so filled up, so happy, and with so much purpose and, and satisfaction in your life. And so they did just that. And so this kind of leads me into my next point. That in 2007, the New York Times ran an article called Happiness 101. And what it was is it was a study of a new branch of psychology that's goal was to take scientific empirical data and prove what makes people the most happy. And so what researchers found was if you focus on doing and getting things that give you satisfaction, that it actually doesn't lead to true happiness, but rather it leads to this psychological treadmill where you become addicted to the satisfaction, but your need to be satisfied keeps growing. And so you have to keep doing more and getting more to maintain your new level of satisfaction. And what you end up finding out is that you were never truly satisfied or happy despite all that you were doing and despite all that you were getting. And so according to this article, scientific studies have shown that the best way to increase your happiness is to actually do selfless acts of kindness, to pour yourself out to those in need. And the researcher's main goal for doing this study was to show that there's a proven way to live your life that leads to more happiness. And so they concluded in their study that if you are leading an unselfish life of service to other people, that it will give you a sense of meaning. It'll give you a sense of being useful and valuable, and it will ultimately allow you to live a life of greater purpose and significance and ultimately more happiness. And so I think that's so cool, this, this study and the research that was put into it and the fact that it was in the New York Times. I think this whole thing is just really, really awesome for a lot of different reasons. 
But like in the church world, if we're being honest, this didn't teach me anything I didn't already know through the teachings and observing of Jesus. You see, a lot of people just assume that religion and caring for people go hand in hand. A lot of people think that that's just always been the case. But if it weren't for Jesus, this would not even be the case at all. He is the one amongst religious leaders throughout all of history known for associating love for God with love for people. In fact, Jesus talks so much about this idea of loving God through loving others and, and experiencing God through serving others that his disciples couldn't help but mimic it. it. This idea is littered all throughout the New Testament. And so we see John. He says, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how could the love of God be in him? That's a bold statement from John, but I think he got to that point because he observed Jesus. He saw just how much Jesus loved the people that he was serving. And he's saying, if you have any way to meet the needs of those around you, whether that be material or possessions or, or, or personality or gifts, and he's saying, if you don't, John's question, how could the love of God be in you? James says that pure and faultless religion is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. He's saying if you want the purest, most faultless form of religion, it's to help those in need. It's not a ceremony. It's not a sacrifice. It's not a sermon. No, it's serving, loving on those in need. And Peter urges us to be hospitable and to use whatever gift God has given us to minister to one another. Peter's saying you think you don't have anything to offer, whether that be materials, possessions, gifts, personalities. He's saying whatever God has gifted you with, whatever gift you have, use it to love one another. Use it to love those in need. And so the very breath of this teaching and the fact that it's repeated by so many writers of the New Testament leaves us without a doubt as to the importance of loving God through loving those he has made. And so my wish for every single one of us today is to be able to experience God through serving others, to live a life with more happiness and purpose than we ever thought possible through these selfless acts of kindness. And for our community of Northern Kentucky to begin to look at First Church as their biggest fans, their, their biggest supporters, the people who are willing to go out of our way just to see them smile. And so we want to make this next step as easy as possible for those of you who are seeking an opportunity to show this kind of love today. If you feel like your, your life could use a little more purpose or, or happiness or you're just craving this idea of getting to experience God, have a personal, intimate moment with God through serving others, then we want to find the perfect fit for you in our community. I love the way that Darren put this last week. In talking about meeting the needs of the community, he said, how could we ever meet the needs without first meeting the people? He said, activity and frequency does not guarantee connectivity. And that's why we have to be intentional about relationship building as we serve. You see, at First Church, we don't just check a box in our good deed category, and that's not the reason we serve. We serve to change lives and to glorify God. And at First Church, people will always trump program. People will always trump programs. And so if you're considering getting plugged into a ministry here at First Church, I don't want you to view it as just signing up for a program. You're not just filling a spot. You're not just a warm body that we need to stand there and to do a simple task. Instead, I want you to think of it as an opportunity to transform a life and to transform our community in the name of Jesus. And so if you guys open up your bulletin, you're going to notice an insert in there. And we called it our top five serving opportunities here at First Church. And our hope is, is if you feel like God is calling you to get involved and to seek out some opportunities throughout the church, that you would look to this list. 
You'll see a couple different service opportunities on there, and below every single one will have the contact person of who you reach out to, uh, out to for questions about that ministry. Maybe you want to know the why behind it, the motivation and the inspiration behind that ministry. Maybe you have questions about just roles and responsibilities that go along with that ministry. Here's my challenge. Don't think that just because you email one of these people that you are signed up for the rest of your life to serve in that ministry, okay? Because that's not the case. Email us. Ask questions. That's okay. And if you find out that it's not for you, that's totally understandable. We're okay with that. And so my, my hope is that Miss Jenny, our serve director, will have 100 unread emails when she comes into her office on Monday because we just have a body of people who's wanting to step up and get involved in the best way possible. So some of those ministries you'll see on there is WizKids, an incredible opportunity to be a one-on-one -on -one mentor with some students where you're not only growing that student academically, but you're really growing that student spiritually. You're getting to show the love of Christ on a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a mentor. I did it with kids in college. It's an incredible opportunity. If any of you uh, are interested in that, contact Miss Jenny. Uh, we have Tent Day here at Mosby's in South Point. Uh, we do every week. It's an incredible opportunity to just show some love to our community. And we have some incredible stories and people here today because of that ministry of Tent Day. And so definitely be sure to check that out. We have a laundry ministry with our homeless shelter uh, that there's some details in there. If that's something that you guys think that you might be interested in, be sure to check that out and to contact Miss Jenny for those. One really cool opportunity that we have right now that we're going through as a church is our Say Yes campaign. And what this is, is this is our FC kids and FC students asking you guys to say yes to investing in the next generation. And so I want to challenge you guys. They have this incredible booth set up out there. Some of you may have seen when you came in. Stop by there, ask questions, let them know if you have any interest in being a, a small group leader, a mentor, a volunteer for FC kids or FC students. They have a ton of information. They have volunteers out there who can answer questions, can kind of give you the layout, the why behind what they do. Uh, definitely be uh, contacting the, the names on the bottom of that list, um, but definitely be sure to check out this promo right here.
are in, if you are intimidated by hand motions, you should be before you sign up for that group, right? There's a lot of hand motions. I'll definitely say that. So that's a prerequisite. You have to learn all those, memorize those. Um, no, in all seriousness, guys, time is our most limited resource here on earth. And I can't think of a better investment than to invest it in the future generations of the church. And so if you have any, um, you know, wanting to sign up interest in, in signing up for FC Kids, F FC Students, definitely be sure to stop by their booth out in the hallways today. We'll have it up for a couple weeks then. I want to conclude today's message with a scripture verse that I believe should be the catalyst and the vision for our hearts as we discuss this idea of experiencing God through serving others. And it's found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. It says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I can't help but when I read that verse, think, man, that is our Savior, and that is our example, to not expect to be served, but to live our life as a ransom for all those in our community, for those in need, and to instead serve them. Man, may we live a life that exemplifies all of those very things to our community. And so I read a quote. This is one of the first quotes I read in preparing for this message. And it really rocked me to my core. It really challenged me in the best way possible to look at my, my own life and to look at our church and this idea of serving our community. And it says this. It says, if your absence doesn't affect them, then your presence never mattered. If your absence doesn't affect them, then your presence never mattered. I can't think of a worse legacy for a person or a church than to get to the end of our lives and realize that when we are gone, that our presence here on earth never mattered to the people who God called us to care for the most. And so for us, in order for us to prevent this, we must be intentional about getting out in our community and putting ourselves in positions to care and love on those who God has called us to minister to. And we don't just do it because God has commanded us to do it. We don't just do it because we get this warm and fuzzy feeling. We do it out of the love and the passion for God's people who do not yet know that they are so dearly loved by a good, good father. 